Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast for Sunday, February 19th, 2023. Today's sermon will be from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 to 19. If you'd like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org, click the current sermons link at the top, and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. Hebrews chapter 11 will be in verses 20 to 22 today. And I'll go ahead and give you the title of the sermon, and then then, uh, we'll read the verses, and then we'll pray and get started. The title of the sermon is Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Those are the three folks in our verses, but Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, final scenes of faith, because we'll see their faith highlighted at the end of their life. So I'm going to read verses 20 to 22, and then we'll pray. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Now, your verse might say, bowing at his bed. The point there is that he worshipped, and there's a difference in the translation there. Verse 22. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, he made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and he gave directions concerning his bones. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words. Thank you for your word as you reveal yourself to us. And you've given us clear instructions. And in these words today, you've given us examples with Isaac and Jacob and with Joseph. Father, I pray that today these examples would would be helpful to us as we go through our weeks this week. As we we go through our week this week, I pray that Jesus would be more beautiful. I pray the gospel would be seen, that as Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith, that we would trust more greatly in Him and look more unto Him, that He would increase, that we would decrease. Father, in spite of me, I pray that you would work greatly. Please help us today as we look at these words. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So today's sermon is about the faith of three old men at the very end of their lives. And no, this is not, Jimmy, our elders' meeting, okay? (laughs) Anyway. I know that God does not always give us the same circumstances at the end of our lives as we approach death, but how we handle death, and particularly what we do at the end of our life, is very important. Death is still the enemy, the greatest enemy, and the things that accompany death and and everything that surrounds it in this life still present the greatest test of enduring faith. Jesus says, those who endured until when will be saved. To the end will be saved. So I often tell people, it's not how we begin the race, it's, it's how we finish the race. And if you're older and you find yourself in sin and you're still hanging on, if you're older, God is a God of grace. And we trust Him and continue on. And so, as the people of faith today that come together here at, at, the, at the YMCA and bring the church to the building, I hope that we can learn from these examples of, of, of Isaac and of Jacob and Joseph in their last scenes of, of life. And so, it's going to be very much like last week. We've got three parts to the sermon, basically each person. Isaac is the first part. And then I'm going to try to apply that a little bit to us. So I'm going to retell the story. So you have to listen carefully today as I retell these stories. So Isaac's the first one. Then we're going to move on to Jacob, retell the story. What can we learn? And then finally we'll get to Joseph. And I've got two final applications at the end. So let's begin with Isaac. In our text today, we find Isaac at the very end of his life. And what he does is he is blessing Jacob and Esau his sons. And what an interesting story we have. 
So let me try to retell the story. If we have to do that, we need to go back to Genesis, particularly Genesis chapter 27. And Genesis 27.1 says, When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim. And so we see him there at the very end of his life. And what he does is he calls his favorite twin. Jacob and Esau were twins. And, uh, and Esau was his favorite. And he says to Esau, he says, I'm old. I'm going to die soon. So please go take your bow and arrow. Go out and hunt some game. So kill it. Bring it back to me. <clears throat> you know how I like it. Cook it up for me. And then I will bless you before I die. So, but who is listening in on the story? It is Rebecca, Isaac's wife. She is listening to him speak to Esau, and what does she do? She goes to the other twin, Jacob, and she says, Jacob, go quickly, bring me two goats. I know how to cook good venison for your father. And then I want you to disguise yourself, knowing that your father can't see very well right now the end of his life and I want you to put some goat skins on your arms because Esau was hairy Jacob was not and I want you to go in and then your father will bless you instead of Esau so Jacob he doesn't say wait a second mama well he does actually say wait a second mama won't he know but he obeys his mother and he goes in he disguises himself takes the food to Isaac that she had prepared and then hearing the, the voice of Jacob and wondering how the food got prepared so quickly, Isaac says, Who are you, my son? Your voice is Jacob's, but you smell and you feel like Esau. And then they enjoyed the meal together. And Isaac, what does he do? Who does he bless? Does he bless Esau? He blesses Jacob. Verses 28 and 29 of Genesis 27, here's the blessing. He blesses Jacob and he says, May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine and let the nations serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. This is very similar to the promise that God had already given to Abraham, his father. And now <clears throat> Isaac, by faith, is coming and blessing Jacob right before he dies. What a story is that. That makes us think, wow, what in the worst land? It's like a soap opera. And so we, if you go through Jacob's life further, it, his whole life is like a soap opera. I, can you imagine a scenario like this in your own household? Well, we won't be too quick here, but it, it probably, I mean, personally, just like this, absolutely not. I can't imagine. But what can we learn from this story? And so I have a bit, a bit of application for us. Here, here's my application. God sovereignly works His plan in the midst of great sin. And so... When we think about that, God works His plan in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our natural affections. Faith eventually will overcome those things. But God works. And so, what is the plan of God? When somebody says, what is the plan of God? Well, it wasn't a secret. We think back to, to Isaac, to Abraham. But God blessed Abraham with great promises that would eventually lead to the land of Canaan with his children, children's children's children. And then eventually, he says in Hebrews, we've been studying, that he's looking for a city that is to come. Okay, So there's the promise that's given to Abraham. And then the, eventually, faith is tied to the Messiah as we look back upon Christ. But Abraham blessed Isaac. And then, then Isaac is, is telling the same. And uh, in fact, God did not only appear to Abraham, he also appeared to Isaac a couple times. God also appeared to Rebecca. It's very interesting in this story. When she was pregnant with the twins in her womb, 
She felt the children struggling within her. Well, that was by faith, I imagine, but also by, <laughs> by sight because there they were in her womb. And God says to her, she inquires, what's going on in my womb here? And God comes to her in a vision and says, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the other, the older, shall serve the younger. That goes back to Genesis 25. And so she knows that the blessing is going to come through the younger, not the older. And so surely, even in all honesty, Rebecca would have told Isaac of these things. There's great mystery in this story. But at the end of his life, who does he bless? Jacob, God's plan works through all of this sin and mess because we see great sin and turmoil in this family. So when we think about Isaac, I, in my studies, A.W. Pink and John Owen both, they point out at least two big areas of sin in Isaac's life. First big area of sin is he loved Esau more than he loved Jacob, or at least he discriminated against Jacob. Genesis 25, 28 says that he loved him because he ate of his game. We don't know. We can just speculate. But it seems like Esau was the, he was the man's man. He was the hunter. He was the one that went out and did what his father wanted him to do. And Jacob, he hung out under the tents with his mother. And he was the, the mother's mama's boy. And Esau, he didn't have the best character, did he? He, if we continue to read about Esau, he despised his birthright. He traded it away for a bowl of soup. He also, the Bible tells us, what did he do when he was old enough to get married? Who did he marry? Esau. He married foreign women. And his parents didn't want him to do that, but he did it anyway. And, but in the midst of all of that, who does Isaac still prefer? He still prefers <clears throat> Esau over Jacob and so that's one way that uh, um, that we might see that that he is sinning second way John Owen points out that Isaac he should have or maybe he did not inquire or learn from Rebecca what she was talking about in her vision or try to understand that or bring that out more at least we don't have any indication that he pressed her on that vision uh, maybe at the least he did not understand it. Maybe his own sins blinded him from understanding the truth, that the blessing would come through Jacob and not through Esau. And then, you know, those are the sins with Isaac. But what about Rebekah? Well, she had great faith, for sure. And she knew that God would fulfill his promise through Jacob. But taking things into her own hands... What does she do? She lies and she deceives and she convinces Jacob, her son, to go and also lie to her father on his deathbed and then deceive Isaac. So we see great sin in her life. Well, what about Jacob? He knows it's deceit. He listens to his mother. He deceives his father, and all the turmoil in the family results in great consequences as later on, what does Jacob do? He runs away from the family, goes down to other family members down there. We'll get to that a little bit later, back with, with Laban. But in that family, there is lying, there is deceit, there is jealousy, there is selfishness, there is pride. And many other things that we could point out in their family. Yet, through all of this sin in that family, what is God doing? By faith, those who trust in Him. But God is working out His plan. Now, personally, I cannot and we cannot clap our hands when we hear such a story and say, Great, great, great job, family. We cannot condone the, their sins. And I don't think any of us can ever use this example as a way that we want to bring the will of God about in our lives. Go and lie and cheat and do all of these things to bring about God's plan. We cannot do that because God always says, be holy 
for I am holy very clearly. However, great mysterious working of providence in this life, God works in the lives of sinful people to carry out his plan. Think of your own families through the years. <laughs> I'd be willing to bet at times your life and the life in your family, the life in other families that you observe might look more like Isaac's family than, say, what we like to watch on TV back if you're a little older and you watch Father Knows Best and you watch Leave It to Beaver and the father always comes down. He's always in control. He's always got the right answer. He's got the right words. And what do the mothers come down looking like every morning? Every hair is perfect. Every piece of makeup is there, and there they are in perfect submission to their husband, and there's the husband leading these wonderful families. And these aren't even Christian families. We watch those kinds of things, but I'll bet that, in all honesty, their lives, but our lives look more like Isaac's and much of the sin um, that is going on oftentimes. Uh, and so I just want to point out that, brothers and sisters, our lives are messy let me ask you, children, and we've all been children if we we're older, have you ever lied to your parents? Have you ever deceived them in just a little way, tiny little way? Maybe you've done it many times. Well, you know, husbands, have you always, are you always patient and kind? And I mean, as we listened in Sunday school this morning, I was very convicted my own life and my, you know, just things that in ways I'm not understanding with my wife and I'm not honoring her as the weaker vessel. And, then, and I'm sure some of you ladies who are in Sunday school this morning heard the same things. We're also very convicted about how, how you might treat your husbands. But, but are you always this way, husbands? Same with wives. I mean, are you patient and kind and thoughtful with your, with your family? And, uh, you know, when I think about this, we, we have to go down to the heart or Oftentimes, are we just throwing tantrums? Tantrums that people can't see, but God sees every one of them. Tantrums in our hearts. Um, and then, then you find, and, and again, as Christians, we find that even through these sins and through our tantrums, that we find God still cares and He works in our lives in spite of us. And he blesses us in Christ by faith, which we'll get to that. But he still carries out his plan to bring you closer to him in the process of sanctification every week, every day, and every month, and every year. And so he is doing that. Why is that? Faith. That's the key. In our story with Isaac, what does he do when he realizes that Jacob... He's blessed Jacob, but then Esau comes running in after the fact. And there's Isaac. And Esau says, how can you do this? What's going on? What does Isaac say to Esau? By faith. Here's what he says. Esau, I've blessed him. And he will be blessed. Because I think at the end of his life, and we'll apply this a little bit later, at the end of his life, I believe Isaac, he saw the plan of God by faith to bless Jacob. And he knew that. And he ended well. He recognizes the sovereign hand of God, even through all of their sins as a family. And instead of murmuring and complaining, he yields and he submits to the plan of God. I, and I, I'm just thinking through this sermon too. It just goes a long ways from the small, young, teenage boy that Abraham is going to offer up on the offering table as the submissive, humble, patient. We see much different in the life of Isaac. But yet God is working by, to, to work out his plan for those who have faith. So today, who is our faith in? They look forward to Jesus, we look back to Jesus. We, our faith is in Jesus in whom all of God's promises are fulfilled. And because of his sinless life, his sacrificial death, his resurrection, our sins as God's people of faith are forgiven. And yes, have you sinned this week? 
Yes. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. This is the cross, the resurrection of Christ. We have an advocate with the Father who is Jesus Christ, the righteous. But let me ask this. Just because God is sovereign and God will give you grace to bring about His plan in the midst of your sin doesn't, doesn't mean that you have a license, that we have a license then to continue on in our, in our sin. Romans 5, Paul speaks about the grace of God that comes down to us in Christ. A grace that covers all of our sins, our past, our present, and our future. But in Romans 6, 1, verses 1 and 2, he says, Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound by no means? At the end of the day, though, faith triumphs over our natural affections as we look unto Christ who's covered all of our sins. So that's Isaac. Let's turn now to Jacob. Verse 21 here in Hebrews 11 says, By faith Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Now, there's a lot written about Jacob, the man who is, do you remember what Jacob's name is changed to? Israel. And, but before his name is changed to Israel, his name... <clears throat> Jacob means deceiver. Well, it actually doesn't mean deceiver, but we take it to mean that. It actually means supplanter, but there is great deception with him. Or do you remember what happened when Jacob and Esau came out of the womb? What was Jacob doing? He was holding on to the heel. Out, he was holding on to the heel of Esau. And so he is called supplanter or physically the one who grabs the heel and so to be a supplanter is to be a person who takes over something this is fit, fitting since he is the one who receives the blessing that the the world would have given to his brother his elder brother as the one who was the oldest and would receive the, the greater inheritance but Jacob's life is full of troubles and like Isaac's, it is full of sin. He gives in to the foolish desires of his mother, as we've seen. See, I believe if he wouldn't have done that and he'd done what is right, God would have still brought about his plan. That's always the case. But he gives in to his mother. Later on, when, after all this happened, he runs away in fear from his brother Esau. He goes down to Laban's family, his uncle, mother's brother. And <clears throat> there he would find his first wife, his second wife, and both of their concubines. And we'll find lots of trickery and deception down there as he works for, for Rachel for seven years, and then Laban gives her Leah. So then he works for another seven years. We know all that story. But eventually, his sons, the sons of Jacob, become who? The Twelve tribes of Israel. So on the way down to Fleeing away from Esau, he has a dream about a ladder coming down of heaven. And in this vision, God repeats his promise that he'd given to Abraham, that he'd given to Isaac. And then, so he hears the promise again, and he goes on down to work for his uncle. And much, again, much of this life that, that we read about, it sounds much like a soap opera. So finally, at the very, after, after some time, Many years down there working for Laban and building his family. He runs away from Laban and he goes back up to the land of Canaan. Where he is unexpectedly, well, it was expected, but he runs into his brother. who his, He was thinking, maybe my brother will kill me and my family after all these years of what I did way back in. But in God's providence... His brother Esau had already become into a big family, had plenty of riches. He's thinking, hey, I'm okay, you're okay. It's all, you know, who knows what they were thinking. But they are reunited, and then they go their separate ways. One nation become the Edomites, which becomes many other nations, the pagan nations. And Jacob will eventually become the Hebrews, the land of, I mean, the people of Israel. And so we keep moving forward with the story. Many years later... Jacob loses his favorite son. 
Who's Jacob's favorite son? We'll get to Joseph in a minute. But he loses his favorite son, Joseph. Brothers go out. They, they don't like Joseph because he's the, the father's favorite. So they sell him into Egypt as a slave. And then they lie to their father. And they take the coat of many colors. And they fill it with blood there. And they say he was killed by an animal. And so <clears throat> there he is down in Egypt. Joseph is. Meanwhile, in Egypt... God blesses Joseph, who later becomes the second most powerful man in Egypt, possibly in the world. And then during a seven-year drought that covers all of that area, then what happens? Well, they eventually end up down in Egypt, and they become a great nation in Egypt. Now, thinking, and Jacob is there for all of this until his death. Now, I believe we see faith in action, certainly throughout Jacob's life. In fact, with those three, with Abraham, well, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, well, Joseph as well. We see great faith. I think with Isaac, we see, we see in some ways less, but none compared to the faith at the end of his life, which is what our author is pointing out here. Jacob is about to die, and he calls Joseph so he can bless his sons, Ephraim or Manasseh and Ephraim. Now, Jacob Jacob blesses all of his sons, but he calls Joseph and he wants to bless those two sons. Now, so my question is for us this morning, why do you think it's so important for the author of Hebrews to highlight the blessing of Joseph's sons? Well, let's think about this a a little bit further. So listen with me. There was Joseph. And there are his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Who was their mother? Was she a Hebrew? No. She was was given to Joseph by Pharaoh, probably important priestly pagan family in Egypt. And so she's a daughter of a pagan priest. And she is given to, to Joseph. Her name is Asenath. And so she is an Egyptian the daughter of a pagan priest, very wealthy, I'm sure. And so those two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, where were they raised? What culture were they raised in? Well, they were Egyptian from a pagan family. And I think if if we were to leave them alone, where do you think they would always live, those boys, and bring up their families? What do you think their values would be? Do you think that on their own they would consider leaving all the wealth of Egypt and then heading back up to Canaan, the land of Canaan? These are interesting questions I have. I think a lot of people have. But it was so important for Jacob to pass the blessings on to these children, to Joseph's children. They needed to know that they were also a part of of this promise. They weren't just pagan children outside of, the, of Abraham's posterity. They came from Joseph. They needed to know their blessing was not in Egypt. It was somewhere else. And so here we see a father passing the faith down to the children. Let me just say very quickly by way of application how important it is for us as fathers and mothers, as parents, to pass faith or the, the teachings of the Word down to our children. But that's what we see here. Now, let's think about the blessing that, <clears throat> that he gives to these two boys. Let's think about Jacob's blessing. Here he is in the text. He's close to death. He also, like Isaac, cannot see. Something about losing your eyesight at the end of life. So he invites Joseph with his boys Joseph comes with Manasseh and with Ephraim, and here's what he does. I'm just going to try to tell, retell the story. Joseph brings them to Jacob, and I can just picture Jacob there on the side of the bed or wherever he's at as he reaches out his hands, and Joseph brings the two boys, okay? Well, Manasseh is older than Ephraim, so who's supposed to get the, ble- the bigger blessing, Manasseh or Ephraim? Manasseh, he's the oldest. And so Joseph is walking this way, and here is his father. 
Jacob. And so he puts Manasseh on the right side of his father. So when he reaches out his right hand, his right hand is going to be on the hand of Manasseh because there was something to the ritual of the right hand going out. There's where the blessing would be. Well, so he puts Ephraim, the younger, on the left side. And so, so he puts his left hand out, right hand, left hand. There he's going to pray the blessing. But what, what does Jacob do? Do you remember? He messes it all up. He crosses his hands. Go figure. Why in the world would he do that? So that now his left hand was on the older, but his right hand was on the younger. Well, it seems like Jacob might think back, you know, to what happened with him, but we're not told. And so Jacob is very upset to say the least. So he even tells his father, don't do it like this. No. In fact, he goes out and the Bible says he grabs his arms. No, put them this way. I can imagine a son saying to the old dying father, no, father, put them this way. This is the way you're supposed to put them. So he tries to take them back. But at the end of his life, we see great vigor and vitality with Jacob. And so what does Jacob say, say to Joseph? He goes, I know my son, I know it. He also shall become a people. He also shall be great. Talking about Manasseh. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he. His offspring shall become a multitude of nations. Now, we could talk a lot about God working through the lives of individuals and nations here, but we're not going to do that today. My point for us, I think, and how we can, what we can learn from this, this story where, this, where, where Joseph tries to interfere, but yet Jacob's faith prevails, is that faith overcomes the interference of man. In other words, Jacob did not fear man. Jacob was old. He couldn't see. When he crossed his arms to bless the children... Joseph, what did Joseph do? He tried to stop him. So here we see Jacob, the young, excuse me, we see Joseph, the young, the wealthy, the wise, the extremely powerful, the popular prince of all of Egypt and possibly all of the world as the world was coming in there to buy food. <clears throat> and we have this young, wise man telling his father how to do things. But it is at this point to where the faith of Jacob shines. Jacob does not listen to Joseph. Instead, by faith, his arms remain crossed as he gives his blessing. He could have said, okay, son, I see my mistakes. Not a big deal. I'll do it your way. But he did not. He did not listen to the reason or the ways or the traditions of man, but instead he did exactly what he was supposed to do by faith. So, what is the application for us? In the same kind of way, we must not be influenced by the reasonings of this world and the wisdom of this world, the ways of this world, the traditions of this world, the ways of man in this world, but instead we must live by faith. And the promises of God. We must not live in the fear of man, but in the fear of God. How easy would it have been for Jacob at the end of his life to just let things be, knowing that Egypt had great blessings for the Hebrews, which they did have great blessings for the Hebrews for a time. So in the same way, brothers and sisters, we must live by faith. Even if it seems easier to join the ways of the world. I think just recently, I don't know if you heard the story of the rugby player in Russia, I mean in, in Australia, who refused to wear the particular type of jersey that their whole team had to wear to promote gender issues in this world. And what did he do? He refused to wear the, the jersey. And he was probably their best player. And he had... Lots of money coming his way, lots of contracts coming his way. 
And he stood up and he lost his position. Not just for the game, but he lost his position with that rugby team. I, I mean, just recently, Kristen, we were talking uh, about the, the... Anybody ever seen the, the uh, surfer girl, the Christian girl from Australia that got her arm um, bit off by the, by the uh, shark? Well, recently, she stood up and said, I'm not going to surf or I'm not going to be supportive of this particular surfing event and what it, what it represents in this world because of, again, the gender issues and some of the things that, that were going on there. And so she, she, she stood up. I think we could, we could think of lots of things here. The world says, just, it's easy, just give in. I mean, Kristen had a conversation with with a family member this week about just what do we do? What do we do? I mean, just the big thing in our culture a few years back was the, the baker that was baking the cake. Again, gender issues and what happened? They were taken to court. These kinds of things are happening all the time, but it's, we, we are always on the verge of, not on the verge of, but we are always with the world in the sense of hearing the things the world says. And they're just saying to us, come on. Just, just do it right, okay? It's about society. It's not about what God says. I think that's, what, that's one of the things that we can learn here from Jacob and Joseph as he said, I will live by faith. God has told me what to do. God has showed me in his word how I should act, who I should believe, and then we move forward no matter what the consequences. And I think of all, especially younger folks in high school, and the things that you go through, it's just, it's amazing. And, uh, and, I, and, I, and, and, and I know many of us here stand by faith in the midst of what's going on. And so, anyway, that's, we could talk a lot more there. But let's move on to the last point. And let's consider Joseph. And I've already told a bit of his story. So with Joseph, it will be a little bit more brief. But finally, we see the faith of another dying man. Look at verse 22. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, he made mention of the exodus of the Israelites, and he gave directions concerning his bones. Still, through all of my years as a Christian, Joseph is still my favorite, most favorite story. At the age of 17, he was carried away, or they're about 17, guess, carried away into a foreign country. He lost everything he knew, and everyone he knew as a young, young boy, really. He was surrounded by idolatry. All the things that, that Isaac, I mean Jacob, had been teaching him. All of it's gone. All of it. And there he is. He had no Bible to read. He had endless trials and temptations we aren't even told about. He spends 13 years in prison for committing something, something that he did not commit. He was an innocent man in that regard, though none of us are innocent as regards our sin. But he was an innocent man in that regard. And later, when he is elevated, the, the temptations flip. Now he's the second wealthiest man in the world. And he has all these other temptations and all these other trials. And it's interesting that the author of Hebrews does not mention all of these things in his regard to faith, but instead only mentions the final scene of his life. Now, I think probably because in Hebrews, he's talking to those Hebrew Christians, and he's saying, look what they've done at the very end of their life. Look how they have persevered till then. You also persevere. That's why he's focusing there, because we get other parts in the Bible that focus on other things. But it's interesting that he only mentions the final scene of his life. So what does he do? What does Joseph do in the final acts of his life? Well, I think he recalls by faith as well. He recalls God's promise and his prophecy to Abraham. If we go back to Genesis 15, I'll just summarize it. He says that... <clears throat> He tells, God tells Abraham, know that your posterity will go down into Egypt. They will be there for 400 years. I will bring judgment upon that nation and then I will bring them out. So this has already been prophesied with Abraham way back. Probably a couple hundred years before it even gets to Joseph. And so Joseph, at the end of his life, 
He's reminding the people, especially his family, of this future exodus that will come some 400 years later after he is dead and gone. And then, because he knows he's going to die in Egypt, okay? But he says, when this does happen, take my bones back to Canaan. And so later, with Moses, we read in Exodus 13 that Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph, Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. So what can we learn today from this story, the end of Joseph's life? Well, we learn that faith looks beyond the riches of this world and what the world can give. Here we have the second most powerful man in Egypt, great wealth, great prosperity, prosperity, probably great health as he lived a long time, great influence, all the things this world can give he had. However, at the end of his life, neither the luxuries, the honors that he received in Egypt made him forget the promises of God. Nor did they bound his soul to the things that the world can give. Because of his faith, his mind and his heart was engaged in higher things, heavenly things, not the perishing treasures of this world. As we will see with Moses, Hebrews, if you want to look down there with me, 11.26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. This is so, so important. Brothers and sisters, it is only as our hearts look to heaven that we are able to look down with contempt upon the things which this world so prizes. And this is by faith. This is why we must look to Christ. He's the author and finisher of our faith. You and I, we must look to Christ who is the prince and the king of heaven. For in him all the promises of God are fulfilled. Now, I am not saying that riches cannot be had in this life. Now, I, I do not take the stance of the health, wealth, prosperity, prosperity movement that's going on in our, in our nation today. <clears throat> not, but I'm not saying that riches cannot be had in this life. God certainly gave riches to Joseph. And he certainly gives to some of us. Now, for sure, we've seen that throughout. Even the New Testament, is, as most many of the Christians in some of these places were very poor, but there was always the wealthy would say, come to my house and let's meet in my house where God would give provision because he provides. We're seeing that even now with the war in Ukraine and with things that are going on. I read two articles this week. It just puts things in perspective about what's going on in this world. But we're seeing God use people of means to help with his people. So I'm not saying that God <coughs> can't give us wealth but the, the deal is by faith we know those are just gifts um, and, and and by faith doesn't look to we don't look by faith to the gifts we look to the one who gives the gifts and at the end of the end of our lives what can we do with our things just well they're going to get passed on to somebody but we can't take them with us and so that is what I believe that Joseph is realizing out of all these things. He's saying God's promise is still for Canaan. The land will go back there one day, but that land is still a picture of what? Heaven, picture of reality of who God is and where he is and who he, what he owns. And he owns all things. So those are my three parts of the sermon. Now I have two applications. Uh, particularly about the end of our lives, okay? Two applications. Notice first thing. The special power of grace given at the end of life. At the end of life, we find that Isaac and Jacob and Joseph hearts, they are all resting upon what they heard from God. They were firmly embracing His promises. They had unshaken confidence as they announced the future blessings to their posterity. 
What an amazing grace God gives His people of faith and what He does even at the end of life. Now, again, we don't know what our mind's going to be like. We don't know what physically our bodies are going to be like. And so death is horrible. Any way you look at it, there is nothing good about it. It is the punishment. It is the just punishment of God upon sin. There's still that enmity between us and God, and there's still death, and we all have to deal with it. But these three men came to the end of their lives, and at least in their situations, God gives them special power and grace at the very end. I, I can't help but think, and we all know this to be true, I can't help but think back to, to our brother Zach when God took him. And... I was closer with Zach than many of you because Zach and I had a lot in common. We hung out a lot, went through internship together, on and on. And I spent a, a good bit of time with Zach the last year, particularly of his life. But, but in particular, the last few months, and I know it got really difficult at the very end. But through all of that, <laughs> through all of that, he had peace and he had comfort. His mind was going his body was failing, and he couldn't speak that much. But I can just testify that that is exactly what happened to our brother Zach in, at the end of his life. And it was because of his faith. And so the person of the world that we look around and we think, how's it going with you? It may appear to, as we look at their lives, we might see that they prosper. We might see that their journey through life seems to be smooth and easy. But how will it come out at the very end of their lives? They do not have faith. What support is there for that person's heart when God calls any of us to pass out of this world into eternity? So what about us? Do we have that peace and comfort even now by faith as we trust in God's promises? Another application. Faith overcomes the world. This is the last application. And this is exactly what we see with Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. At the end of their lives, what stands out at the end? Faith. Which, by the way, would soon become sight. But at the end of their life, it is faith. And I must ask, faith in what? Faith in who? Well, it was God and His promises. And all God's promises are fulfilled as we look back in who? In Jesus Christ. This is why, again, 11.26 of, of Hebrews 11.26, Moses considered the riches of what? Of whom? Of Christ. So, fast forward to the end of Jesus' life, the Garden of Gethsemane. And he speaks with his disciples about what is soon to happen. In fact, just a few hours from that as he would go to the cross. And he says to them, and I, there's a lot he says in, in John 15, 16, 17. But he said, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. Take heart, brothers and sisters. These words are for us. If you are a Christian, if your faith is in Christ, take heart because I have overcome the world. So here Jesus speaks of the impending cross and the resurrection to come. And as we think about the cross, we know that He took our sins upon Himself as a sacrifice to God. And then He took the wrath that we deserve upon Himself and then He rose again. That's why we're here today. And that's what our faith is in as we look back. But we also look forward. But particularly here we look back. And where is Jesus now? He sits at the right hand of God and we do look forward to that consummation one day so in this way Jesus has overcome the world and so by faith Isaac and Jacob and Joseph they look forward and it caused them to have such great death experiences in that regard as good as it can be <clears throat> they look forward we look back but in both cases faith looks to the one who has overcome the world. So no matter what's going on in your life and my life and our lives together, Christ has overcome the world and we are going to heaven with Him. And life is messy, as we've seen. 
I just I can't imagine all of this when you think about what Paul writes about be holy and we get to the New Testament. We'll work all that out as we go, but life is messy. Life, life is full of sin and great consequences, but God is faithful. He is moving history to the end, the end that he has planned. And so I would say to us this morning, continue to look unto Christ. Press on. Press on this week in your job, in your schools, in your whatever you're doing, in your endeavors. By faith, press on. Because in the end, faith will prevail and God will bring you to his home. Let me end with just a very quick story. Through all of the years of flying to Sydney with Kristen, um, which we haven't done in a while, coming up on four years this May. But Kristen might say a little different, I'm not sure. But in all the times we went to Sydney... 15 hours from Los Angeles, 16, depending on the winds. But I've had some of the worst turbulence I have ever had going from here and coming back particularly. But going into Sydney, just the turbulence. Because you're always going to hit something there, okay? And it's just horrible. And this goes on and on and on. Sometimes you might have two hours of peace. And then you have 30 minutes of turbulence. Then you got another two hours of peace. Another 30 minutes of turbulence. And it's just like, ugh. Well, life is very much like that. But in all of my travels to Sydney, when they finally say, it's time to get up, here's breakfast, and you start going, you go, man, my destination's there. And it all, the, the plane's always flying over the ocean. I've never had a rough landing. It seems like there's peace coming out with the blue sky right at the beginning. The wind hadn't started up for the day, and it's just a peace sailing into Sydney. I... That is the way, that is what we see with these patriarchs. And that is what we will see is God will also bring us home by faith. <laughs> now, and, but particularly one day after all the turbulence in life is gone. So with that in mind today, I know the sermon has been longer. For those who are in nursery, you can apologize to them as you go. Please get your kids quickly. But I hope this is helpful um, this week as we even think about next week as we take the Lord's Supper together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these, these examples um, here with, with Isaac and with Jacob and with Joseph. And Father, with these applications for our lives, Father, that we know they're for us. They're our examples. I pray that we would heed to their examples and, and the warnings, even through the book of Hebrews. And I pray that the, these words will be helpful to us, that as we... <clears throat> look unto Christ as Christians by faith that, that we would be comforted, encouraged today, even convicted of our sins as well. Thank you for Sunday school this morning and then the very convicting words that we heard from, uh, from Peter. Um, but Father, we just, we just love you and trust you today. And I just pray that you would give us great grace. If someone's here that is not a Christian and they know they're not a Christian and they've heard these words, Father, may today they look unto Christ and be saved. May they trust in Him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church China Grove. You can also join us at the South Rowan YMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.